Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, Today's podcast is going to be about spiritual abuse, and I'm going to specify some things particularly to the Christian religion because of uh, some of the stuff that's going on out in social media land and out there in uh, politics and whatnot. So that's what we're in for for today. And uh, if you are not religious, please pay attention. Please stick around. If you are religious, please pay attention. Please stick around. Uh, I really want to capture as many people as I can with this particular topic because I'm going to say some things that uh, are going to maybe sound a little bit different. All right. I'm not going to be preaching. What I'm going to be doing is taking a clinical look at religion and spiritual abuse. That's what I'm going to be doing. This is not a one-time conversation. This is something that if you are engaging in this, please ask questions. Uh, this is stuff that I see in therapy. And so I, I really want as much participation as possible. So hang in there with me. Let's get this thing rolling. There are two specific types of people I want to talk to directly today. And the rest of you, if you don't fall into one of these two categories, please stick around because the conversation is going to be good anyway. Number one, people who were abused by religion and or the Bible. I'm talking directly to them today. I also am going to talk directly to people who have knowingly or unknowingly been complicit or abusive in using the Bible as a weapon. It is not a weapon. It is supposed to be a syllabus, a pathway to a a, a better life. And anybody who weaponizes it pushes people away from that by its own teaching. I'm not talking about my own thoughts on it. The Bible teaching suggests that it is not to be weaponized. So I'll start with the abused. Number one. If you have been hurt by a church, if you have been hurt by religion, if you have been hurt by some Bible thumper out there who is uh, trying to tell you you're going to go to hell, it is not their place to judge you. And therefore, I your pain, as real as it is, um, I hope, and I, I really do mean this, I hope you are able to work through that in a way that is good and healthy for you because it's, it's poor teachings, it's poor leadership at times, it's, it's, that is what is responsible for your pain. And if you have the pain, you have some responsibility now to deal with the pain. So... Number one, for you abused out there, the Bible was never intended to be weaponized. Not against you and not against anyone. It's not in there. It doesn't say, hey, use these words to condemn and judge one another. It just doesn't say that. It actually says the opposite of that. The Bible and religion should not be used by people to pass judgment, condemn So let's define what spiritual abuse is. Spiritual abuse is any time 
Someone uses religion to treat another person in a way that damages them spiritually. Wounds or scars to their spirit. That's what it means. I want to also be really clear to all of you who are abused. This is not a Christian problem. This is not a Catholic problem. This is not a Jewish or Mormon, Islamic, a Hindu, a Buddhist, or any other religion problem. It is an all of them problem. It belongs to every religion because people are the ones that are facilitating the religiosity. And people are broken. Your abuser, whoever it was or whatever environment you were abused in, they did not take care of you. And that is, in all of these religions, it goes against their teachings. So staying true to who I am as a, 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 as a podcaster, I do want to say the remainder of this conversation to those of you who have been abused, um, it's, it's going to look totally therapeutic. So hang in there with me. I'm going to turn into a therapist right now. I am, and I'm past the empathy part of it, the, uh, moving into the five most common manipulations that I have encountered. All right. Now this isn't from a book out there. This isn't, this is from my therapeutic experience. And I want you to know that this is not all inclusive. So if you have a different version of abuse, by all means, respond to my podcast, let me know. And I would be happy to come back and talk directly to it. So I'm going to go over these five things because they're the most common that I have seen. Forgiveness as a manipulation, passive accountability or no accountability. One way, and that's my way, or the follow me or get to, or you get to go to hell. Uh, the men being dominant narrative and the scriptural uh, context, context manipulation. So that would be taking parts of the Bible out of context. So going back to the first one, forgiveness. All right, we're just going to start with forgiveness. The lie that's often told, and this is where the abuse begins, is if you can't forgive, you are the problem. So, for instance, if, uh, if somebody were to take advantage of a child in a church, and the child has to then learn how to forgive, wait, wait a second, what? That's the lie. This sets the stage for massive abuse. Abusers love this because it gets them off the hook. There's no real accountability there because the forgiveness needs to come from those that were abused. There must have been some reason that you had to go through this experience so that you could learn to forgive. Uh, no. Let me be really clear. No. No, 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 no. The truth is we can have meaningful accountability and forgiveness. Yes, I said that. Churches, we can have meaningful accountability. If somebody harms somebody, even if it's on accident, there should be some meaningful accountability and forgiveness. Sometimes taking responsibility needs to happen before the forgiveness can fully happen. People aren't very apt to forgive anybody who doesn't own their own junk. 
if a person is continuing the same behavior, they're clearly not asking to repent in a healthy way. Okay. Second one, accountability. The lie that's told is that confession is sufficient. Um, not necessarily. The truth is, confession is only the first step to reconciliation. It's a first step. Owning our junk is a first step. And I'm going to get into that later when I talk directly to the abusers. Number three, one way, my way, or you go to hell. The lie is that there's only one way in every situation. That is completely false. It's completely false. Not true. The truth is, there are multiple rights and multiple wrongs when it comes to paths we pick. Maybe God didn't intend for me to be a therapist, but I am a therapist. Does that mean I picked the wrong path? No, it means I picked the less ideal path, maybe. But can God use that? Of course. There isn't just one right path. There are multiple right paths, just like there are multiple wrong paths. We don't have to be a murderer to be evil. We could go rob homes. We could. There's lots of ways to do the wrong stuff, just like there's lots of ways to do the right stuff. Number four, men are superior. Uh, False. The lie is that scripture sets the hierarchy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read scripture, but when you look at the different biblical teachings, what you see is actually the opposite of that. The truth is people set the hierarchy, not scripture. Matter of fact, the Old Testament to the New Testament suggests that the hierarchy is man's way. That was the Old Testament. And that when Jesus walked the planet, he changed that. He said, wait a second. I gave you a chance to get this right. You clearly couldn't get it right. Laws can't decide everything. We need a better system. And that's when he set the relational model in place. Okay. So it's not about hierarchy. It's about relationship. Scripture teaches servant leadership. Go ahead and look it up. Luke 9.48. I'm not cherry picking things that are out of context. You can go and look these up. They are in context. And Matthew 23.11. Both talk specifically about the importance of servant leadership. Servant nature. And I just want to be really clear here, men. There's a lady named Mary Magdalene. For those of you who haven't read any scripture, or maybe you have and you have ignored this part possibly, I just want to bring your attention to it. Maybe you have read it and you've not ignored it, but it just hasn't hit home like this. Mary Magdalene was often referred to as loved by Jesus more so than the others. Mary was a woman. Women were used in the Bible routinely. 
probably not as much as they should have been, let's be real, because the structure, the male structure was in place from the Old Testament and there was a transition period. But women preaching, by all means, if you've got a good message, make sure that people get it. Absolutely. There's nothing that's not biblical about that. Scripture out of context, number five, the lie. The Bible says things like no gay marriage, women are below men, uh, no abortion. The Bible is silent to some of those things. Let's be real. It's not totally silent to all of those things, but it doesn't say some of the things that we want it in our, in our, in our theology to say. So we have to reconcile that. What is the actual truth? The truth is there's really three buckets. There's doctrine, those things that undeniably are true. That would be something like our, our job is to love God and love others. Undeniably true. It's relational. And if you look at the way life plays out in a clinical setting, you can't go wrong with those. Just I, I haven't seen those go wrong. The second bucket is covenant. That's an agreement. Agreements can change. They may be something that we are passionate about, but they are not doctrine. Very few things go in that doctrine bucket. And then the third thing is opinions. There's a lot of biblical opinions. How many things fall in the doctrine? Doctrine are the things we die for. If the, if the doctrine are the things that, that we die for, how many things actually go in that? Not very many. Like we shouldn't murder. That would go in doctrine. Right? There's, there's not very many, though. I mean, when we think about the, the story of Moses going up the mountain, how many things did he come down with? Not very many. The, the doctrine is much smaller than people would like to think it is sometimes. Well, no, in this verse, it says this. Yeah, it says that. But what's the doctrine behind it? The, the idea of loving God and loving others. So anybody who's spewing hate, that's a problem. And in a church, that shouldn't happen. What we can do is accountability. Accountability can come from love, though. So for all of those out there that have been abused, it is my hope that I have painted a picture of some of those main manipulations that have caused you some of those major heartaches. And I've given you the truths that go along with it. And now you have a responsibility. I know you were abused and I know that you're, you know, it shattered your spirit a little bit or wounded your your spirit some. But what I need you to do, because this is therapeutically the right thing, is deal with it. I know I, that's like the last thing you probably want to hear. Like, I know I don't want to deal with it. But if you ignore it, that wound will fester instead of heal. Like there comes a point in time where we need, we need to go have surgery or we need to go to a therapist. So please go see a therapist. Find somebody who's going to love you as you are and work with this situation and help you walk you through the situation. Okay. <sighs> to the abusers. 
I'm speaking not just to the abusers, but also to those complicit in it. Now, I want to clarify what I mean by complicit. If you knew of dysfunction in the environment or in a person within your church, and you did not act on it, meaning you either covered it up or ignored it, you are complicit. You kept a secret. I'm talking to you also, which to be honest, is probably most people who've been in a church. There are four areas that abusers typically fall into. Secrets, lies, deceptions, and blind spots. Now, I want to outline each of them just for a moment because staying true to who I am, I, you know, I got to make sure this stays clinical. I'm not attacking religion, not at all, not any of them. I'm not attacking Christians. I'm not attacking non-Christians. I'm also not condoning things that shouldn't be tolerated. Secrets, lies, and deceptions destroy relationships. They always have. You can take that to the bank. That is clinically just a reality. If you are keeping secrets, if you are telling lies, and if you are being deceptive to yourself or to others, you are destroying relationships. Period. The end. That's it. So, if you are keeping secrets, telling lies, or being deceptive, then it is very important that you pay attention to this. And I'm going to walk you through what to do about that. Now, there is a fourth category. I told you there were four. Blind spots. Blind spots are the best example when it comes to uh, spiritual abuse that I can come up with is, you know, you got a lead pastor or something who's really a good person. And they um, are creating an environment where they really believe they are creating a forgiving and welcoming and comfortable environment. And they really truly believe that they're doing that. And six months down the road, 12 months down the road, the, the elders meet with them and say, hey, we've got this problem. There's this undercurrent of some sort. And I'm not sure what to do with it, but we need to talk about it and sort it out. And they uncover that the culture, as, as friendly as it might be on the, the, the surface, is, is terrible underneath. You've got people because of the way in which, as I said before, we're forgiving or holding people accountable or preaching or uh, creating hierarchies. Because of those kinds of things, we have some blind spots. We have some people that are potentially being harmed under the surface. So if they have that experience and they immediately start making adjustments to try to deal with the undercurrent, good on you. That is fantastic. As far as abusers go, I would say, suggest that you are the ones who are going to be the least likely to have long-term problems because you're managing what's in front of you. And what's in front of you is that undercurrent getting stronger. 
and you don't want to hurt people, so you start to make shifting and changing. But if you then turn that into, oh my gosh, we can't let the congregation know about these things, and we start keeping secrets, and we start telling lies, and we start to start being deceptive, we actually increase the blind spots, because blind spots come from lies, secrets, and deceptions. So telling truths and reconciling early is better. It's just more efficient and more effective, and it's going to have much longer longer term outcomes that are positive. So, like I said, in staying true to my podcast, I'm going to tell you from a clinical perspective, not a religious perspective, but a clinical perspective, what should be done for the abusers. The steps to success are pretty simple. Number one, own your stuff fully. That means no blaming, no excuses. By the way, that's harder than you might think. But abusers, I am talking to you. Anybody who in your church, you're experiencing an undercurrent that is negative and unhealthy. I am talking to you. No blaming, no excuses. Own it. And own it all. Own it fully. Number two, accept the consequences. Do not accept no consequences. If somebody comes along and says, you know, this is probably the first time you did this. I mean, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to let that go this time, but we'll deal with it if it comes up again. Don't accept that. I'm not saying you have to be harsh to yourself, but you have a responsibility to reconcile, which is the next part. And if you accept no consequences, there's no way to reconcile. You can't do it. Number three is reconcile if it's appropriate. That means if you have somebody who was abused by somebody who is an abuser, it may not be the healthy thing to have the abuser and the abused come together. That may not be healthy. So if it's appropriate, we reconcile. And number four, an apology or reconciliation means nothing. Nothing if there isn't an overt change. We have to be willing to grow therapeutically. That's the way it works. So why would it be any different in a church? It wouldn't. The church has to be willing to grow. The pastor has to be willing to grow. All of the people that are volunteers have to be willing to grow. And if there is not an overt change after damage has been done, then the apology was meaningless. The reconciliation meant nothing. So that's what I wanted to say for the abusers. I'm going to step aside and take a side note here. I want to, I want to share a couple of things uh, that are biblical. This is me stepping out a little bit out of the therapeutic realm and into uh, the Christian realm for a moment. Uh, again, these, these tenets that I'm talking about today, the vast majority of them apply to every major religion. Go ahead and do the research. I, I've, I've been in a position as a therapist where I've studied multiple religions on purpose because I could have anybody come into my office. That doesn't mean I'm an expert in all of them. I promise you that I'm not. But that being said, when it comes to Christianity, which is being persecuted right now, and sometimes rightfully so, and at other times not rightfully so, in my opinion, I want to say some things to my, my Christian folks out there. Jesus didn't gloat about victories. He didn't walk around saying, oh, check out this trophy. Look at this. The, the recent case with uh, uh, Dobbs versus Jackson that I did a podcast on, 
I want to be really clear with you. There's no gloating. That is a hard day for many people. We should be loving, not gloating. Number two, Jesus challenged the Pharisees and all the religious leaders of his time. Go ahead and read the woes in Matthew 23, 13 through 36. If you think that you can sit on a a pedestal of any sorts, you can't. I can't. As a therapist, I don't get to sit on a pedestal. I get to tell you what I've experienced because I have some experiences and I want to share those so people can learn and grow. But if somebody comes to me and says, wow, you are way off on this, I'm going to take a look at it. I'm going to ask myself the same question I'm asking you guys to ask. And that is, is this feedback accurate? Yes or no. If it is accurate, what am I going to do to make a change? If it's not accurate, I am unfortunately going to dismiss it. That doesn't mean I dismiss you as a person. I'm going to dismiss the feedback because a lot of inaccurate information comes my way. And a lot of accurate information also comes my way. I have to be open to both and I have to weigh them because your feedback is 50% and my um, introspection is the other 50%. I have to think for myself just like you have to think for yourself. Okay, the third thing in my my side note, and this is where I'm going to leave you guys. Jesus did something that we try to apply in the clinical realm all the time. He separated people from sin. In the clinical world, what I try to do is separate people from the problem, right? If there's a problem, that doesn't mean that the person is horrible, no good, and totally broken. Let's manage the problem separate from the reality that you're a human. It's why it's why I say things from time to time. I'll say something like, I was a person long before I was a therapist. Because I have to separate, I'm a human. I'm a person before I'm a therapist. Just like you're a person before you're broken. So if you have a problem going on, like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. We all end up with them. Find a good therapist who can separate the problem from you as a person, who can identify how beautiful you are as a human and say, that is good and I like that. And this problem does exist. Let's manage it. Let's figure it out together. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I hope this was helpful. I know this was uh, a tough topic, as many of them that I have discussed are. Um, if you would like to leave feedback, I'd appreciate it. Share this with friends. I know all of you out there, all of you have known people who have dealt with spiritual abuse. This, this thing should blow up. Tell your friends, let them listen to this. And then let's have the discussion. Bring me comments. Uh, help me learn things too. Thank you guys for joining us and have a good one. 